Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Welcome to the lift. Get ready to take a ride. <laughs> Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, and welcome to Season 4, Episode Number 8 of The Lift. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I thank you for listening. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings do help others find the show. And of course, we love hearing from you. Victoria wanted me to remind you that our first written anthology, The Lift, Nine Stories of Transformation, is now available and packed with great tales by some of your favorite authors from the show. The book also features beautiful cover art and illustrations by Jeanette Andromeda. It's a fantastic collection. And we know you'll want to add all nine stories contained within to your own building. Get yours now at victoriaslift.com forward slash read. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to those who are supporting the show on Patreon. Without your support, this show would not be possible. On behalf of the authors and everyone else involved in making the show, a sincere thank you for your support of this show and of independent horror fiction. If you're not already supporting the show, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. We do rely on your support to make the show possible. Now, today's episode features a fresh tale by returning author Barbara Jean Savoie. Today's story is told by me and features Amber Collins as Mrs. Rotterdam and, of course, our girl Victoria, accompanied by a custom score written by our resident composer Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. 
You can learn more about Barbara and find links to her work and social media accounts at her bio page at victoriaslift.com. Now, let's go for a ride. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate or change it? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. The woman sitting across from Connor reaches delicate fingers into her clutch, pulling out a square of silk. She unfolds the square and, with a shuddering breath, blots it carefully made up, perfectly dry green eyes. Connor smiles, a small practice smile, something between sympathy and concern at the woman. Shall we get started? You sounded distraught over the phone. Her lips, painted a deep mauve, pull in a brief frown. Before she can crumple completely, however, Mrs. Rotterdam squares her shoulders. She folds her hands on the table, her handkerchief caught between them. On the fourth finger of her left hand sits a ring, the stone set into the gold band so large that the entire ring sags to the side under its considerable weight. She sniffles once, very prim, very proper. Yes, thank you. Connor folds his hands on the table, mirroring Mrs. Rotterdam. He tilts his head. I understand you've lost someone. Very recently. Connor doesn't need to be psychic to know she's lost someone. He would have known without the phone call prior to her arrival. It was obvious the second she'd swept into his reading room, accessorized for the part. Designer knee-length black dress? Check. Hair twisted into a low chignon? Check. Tears gleaming unshed in her eyes. Double check. All she'd needed to complete her funeral look was the mourning veil. To her credit, Mrs. Rotterdam doesn't look surprised at his comment. I don't normally do this kind of thing, Mr. Cunningham. But after losing my husband, I feel so lost. Please. Connor reaches across the table. Palms turned upward, welcoming. Call me Connor. Mrs. Rotterdam places her hands on top of Connor's, and he gives her fingers a little squeeze. It's quite normal to feel the way you do, but I'm glad you sought me out. Perhaps we can learn something today that will help you regain some surety. Together. Together? Oh, yes. While I serve as a, something of a conduit, each reading is incredibly personal. I'll need your help to interpret the messages I receive from those on the other side. Do you understand? Of 
course. Then let's begin. Connor closes his eyes and breathes out. He lets the silence ferment before reopening his eyes, allowing them to remain unfocused for a beat. He blinks rapidly, a little dazedly, and lets his body sway as if he's just come back to himself from the great beyond. The show is unnecessary, but it gets his clients hook, line, and sinker every time. Even now, Mrs. Rotterdam's fingers flex as she fights not to pull away. She looks at him with eyes as wide as the saucer she must use to drink her afternoon tea. I have someone here with me. The connection's weak, but I'm getting... It, it starts with a J. Mrs. Rotterdam flinches. Yes, it's it's coming to me now. It, it wouldn't be Jonathan, would it? Mrs. Rotterdam does pull away at this, covering her mouth with her hands, fingers trembling. <gasps> Jonathan, my Jonathan, please, you must tell me. What does he say? Connor lets his eyes go distant again. He's telling me you're a very intelligent woman. A woman defined by her successes. One who will not... Connor pauses, frowning as a slow, tinkling melody pricks at his ears. His eyes go to the table next to Mrs. Rotterdam, to her clutch. But the sound isn't coming from inside. No, not a ringtone. A music box? I'm sorry. Do you hear that? Hear what, Mr. Cunningham? Is it a spirit? Is it Jonathan? The tune plays, louder now. But the way Mrs. Rotterdam is looking at him, her expression shifting between suspicion, concern, and, despite herself, excitement. It's clear she doesn't hear it. Connor shakes his head, but the music doesn't stop. He turns in his chair, following the melody as it pulls at him with spectral fingers. The door separating the reading room from the small office on the other side is haloed by a strange green light. The music muted by the door seems to be coming from inside his office. Instead of the usual incense and crystals and gimmicky new age baloney used by others in the trade, Connor has gone for a different approach, a tasteful approach. The bookshelves lining the room are stuffed with books on human psychology and self-help, the topics ranging from love after loss to financial success. The art hanging along the walls is abstract, the colors subdued. In the corner sits a comfortable sofa on top of a plush rug for clients requiring a more delicate, personable touch. Aside from the table and chairs where he and Mrs. Rotterdam now sit, his reading room looks like a psychologist's office. It lends an air of credibility to his business, encourages those skeptical about his gift to come in and relax. He isn't just another one of those charlatans wearing celestial robes moaning into a crystal ball. <laughs> 
He is a serious man whose only purpose in life is to help people, or so it says on his business card. Connor Cunningham, serving others with just a little help from the beyond. Whatever it is, the green lights and the twinkling melody have no place in Connor's careful performance. Whatever it is, it has got to go. He begins to rise from his chair. One moment, Mrs. Rotterdam. But, Mr. Cunningham, the will. Did Jonathan say anything about the will? Connor ignores the woman and strides across the small room. He wrenches open the door, half expecting someone to be on the other side, for the light and music to be some sort of prank. But his office is empty, albeit a wash in a ghostly green light. The music twinkles on, not from Connor's laptop, which he always powers down during a reading, but from behind the door leading to the ensuite. In the cracks around the door, the green light pulses like a heartbeat. Connor shuts the door to his reading room behind him, cutting off Mrs. Rotterdam's increasingly desperate pleas regarding her late husband's will. He skirts the room, hugging the perimeter. Something brushes his arm. Connor jumps from the touch with a shout, hands up as if to fend off an attacker, but it's only the artificial potted ficus standing in the corner. Hello? Is someone in there? Someone's in there. If someone is in there, you'd better come out. Right now, or... Or else. Okay, then. I'm coming in there, and and you're gonna regret it. Connor waits a beat, hardly breathing, listening for any sign of movement. But nothing happens. (sighs) Probably just kids. He doesn't let himself dwell on how kids could have gotten into his office. Instead... He forces himself to stride the rest of the way to the door. He turns the knob and throws the door open. The music stops. The green light winks out, replaced not with the bright expensive sconces Connor hand-selected for his private restroom, but with the dim light of an elevator car. Connor gapes. Hello. Connor shakes his head trying to dispel the vision, because that's exactly what this has to be. A vision. I'm down here, silly. Connor looks down. A little girl, maybe nine or ten years old, stands before him. Connor doesn't know much about kids, can't stand them truthfully. But even to his eyes, she looks out of place. And not simply because she's standing in his office having just come from an elevator that hadn't existed an hour ago. Dressed in an old-fashioned, faded purple dress with matching purple ribbons tied in her blonde hair, she looks like she's just stepped out of a different time altogether. I'm Victoria. I've been waiting for you. I... Are you a spirit? Victoria's green eyes crinkle as she smiles. I thought you were supposed to be psychic, Mr. Cunningham. (laughs) Connor frowns. 
that she knows his name confirms it. She must be a spirit. Not one of the spirits Connor has claimed to see since his young adulthood, but a genuine spirit. After all these years of pretending, could Connor actually have the gift? Ah, are you here to give me a message? Not so much a message as a choice. One that will determine your fate. My fate? The girl's expression is even, but something in her eyes hints at knowledge beyond her years. She smiles, but there is a sharpness to it that doesn't belong on a child. You know all about fate, don't you, Mr. Cunningham? What a... What do I have to do? Victoria lights up, her green eyes sparkling. <laughs> Why, take a ride on my lift, of course. She holds out a tiny hand. Connor half expects his own hand to phase through hers, but Victoria's skin is cool and solid against his. She tugs, leading him into the elevator. The floor dips under their weight as they step inside and the door slides closed behind them. Victoria presses a button on the wall panel, lighting up the number three. The elevator rocks before beginning its slow, rumbling ascent. Victoria hums, swirling her skirts around her legs until the elevator rocks to a stop. Third floor, this is your stop. Connor looks at the girl and frowns. What am I meant to do? <laughs> You'll see. The elevator door slides open, and Connor steps out into bright, blinding nothingness. A vast, seamless white void. Above him shines no obvious source of light. Below him, Connor casts no shadow. Except for the pressure of gravity pressing Connor firmly against... something. He couldn't even say there was a floor. Endless white surrounds him on all sides. Including behind him. When Connor turns, the elevator is gone. Hello? Is anyone here? Connor takes a tentative step, but whatever is holding him up, up. Is there such a thing in this place? Seems supportive enough. He takes several more steps, but there's no way to tell if he has crossed any amount of distance. Victoria! Victoria doesn't answer. Neither does any other voice. Connor walks, slowly at first, testing his footing with the balls of his feet before placing his entire weight down. Then, after an indeterminate amount of time, a minute, an hour, Connor's designer watch is frozen, the second hand unmoving. He runs. The soles of Connor's feet make no noise as they pound against nothingness. The only sound comes from Connor himself, his breath coming fast and hard, his heartbeat drumming against his ribcage. At last, a spot of darkness mars the endless white. Connor runs toward it, not knowing what it could be, but thankful for something, anything, other than the blinding white void. He stumbles clenching his teeth against the stitch in his side. But still, he runs. The spot grows larger as Connor approaches, until Connor can make out a figure seated at a table. Across from the figure, 
On the opposite side of the table sits a vacant chair. A chair eerily similar to the one in his own reading room. Not just similar, Connor realizes as he slows to a walk, swallowing lungfuls of air as he catches his breath. Both the chairs and the table are the same set as the one in his reading room. Connor peers at the figure, but any telling features are shadowed beneath the hood of a black cloak. The figure shifts, an arm emerging from voluminous folds of fabric. A gloved hand reaches toward Connor before moving to gesture at the empty chair. The invitation clear. Connor sits. The figure says nothing. With a practiced eye, Connor searches the figure like he would a client, looking for distinguishing characteristics and mannerisms. The figure sits unnaturally still, giving away nothing. Who are you? No answer. Instead, from beneath the cloak, the figure brings out a deck of cards. Tarot cards. <laughs> You're going to give me a reading? Silent, the figure shuffles the cards. Gloved hands settle three cards face down on the table. Past, present, and future. The figure's arms retreat into the cloak, taking the rest of the cards with them. Neither Connor nor the figure moves. Connor frowns. You want me to do a reading for you? Connor has sat across from many a stone-faced skeptic in his line of work. It makes a cold read difficult, certainly, but not impossible. The figure shakes their head. Connor's frown deepens. You want me to give myself a reading? A nod. What does giving myself a reading accomplish? What does it have to do with the choice Victoria mentioned? The one that would determine his fate? Connor flips the first card over. The one signifying his past. The art is beautiful, styled after intricate stained glass, depicting a young man with dark hair. Before the young man is an altar, and on the altar lay a cup, pentacle, sword, and wand, the four suits of the tarot, symbolizing the four elements, water, earth, air, and fire. Above the man hangs the sign of infinity, the magician. Upright, the card is often used to represent a person utilizing their talents to fulfill their true potential, to manifest their deepest desires. Reversed, the way the card on the table is oriented, the magician is often meant to signify trickery or illusion. Connor heats up. The psychic charade started as a party trick something he could pull out to impress his peers, already half-drunk and eager to believe. It wasn't until he was freshly graduated that he pulled his first con. His first client was a woman who just lost her grandfather. While he scrolled through her social media feeds, reading every stray thought, clicking through every public image album, he'd tried to convince himself it was to better help him help her through her grief. It didn't take long to start seeing money signs. He'd quit his job at the advertising agency to focus on his budding business venture, a 
took him a long time to curate his select clientele, to find his niche and become Connor Cunningham, the man who serves others with just a little help from the beyond. But by then, it was less about serving others and more about the payout. I'm a fraud. No use trying to spin it any other way. The figure nods. They reach out to tap the second card with one gloved finger. Connor turns the second card, the card signifying his present. In the same stained glass style, the card shows a little girl wearing an old-fashioned purple dress. Instead of purple ribbons tied in her hair, a circlet of gold sits upon her blonde head. In one hand, the image of Victoria holds a sword. In the other hand, she holds a scale. Justice. This time, the card is upright. Upright justice signifies impending judgment. For some, this card implies that those who have done them wrong will soon face punishment. For Connor, it's clear the card is meant to serve as a warning. This is the choice Victoria mentioned. The hooded figure nods again. Connor doesn't need prompting to turn the third card, the card signifying his future. An image of the hooded figure fills this card. The hood is pulled back, revealing the bottom half of a skeletal face. The mouth of a horn presses against the skull's grinning teeth. Beneath the horn lies an open casket. Inside the casket is the dark-haired young man from the first card, all grown up. Connor. This card is Judgment. Connor lets out a breath that he hadn't realized he was holding. Although grim in appearance, upright as it is, this card signifies more than the final unavoidable day of judgment it depicts. Instead, judgment suggests a period of awakening, of new beginnings, of redemption and reincarnation. Connor looks at the hooded figure across from him. This is my only chance, isn't it? Victoria said I needed to make a choice, and that whatever choice I made would determine my fate. What happens if I can't change? The figure tugs at their hood, pulling it away from their face. Dark hair, sunbed tanned skin, bleached white smile. Connor stares at himself across the table. The other Connor's skin bubbles and smokes. Flames lick at his skin, melting it like nothing more than candle wax. Fluid leaks from empty eye sockets, only to evaporate away as soon as it appears. The other Connor's face burns until nothing is left but the grinning skeleton from the final tarot card. Connor leaps out of his chair, knocking it to the floor. He backs away, tripping over his own unsure footing. He lands on his backside jarring both wrists as he catches himself wrong. He skitters backwards, away from the table, away from the rictus grin of his other self. His back hits something solid. Connor gasps and tries to scramble in another direction, but he's stopped by a softly accented voice. Are you ready to go home now? Victoria. Yes, yes, I'm ready. Do you understand what you need to do? What choice you must make. I understand. Please, just take me home. 
Connor pushes himself to his feet. The door to Victoria's elevator, the solid thing his back had met in his desperate attempt to flee, slides open. He steps into the elevator car, grateful for the defined dimensions of the space, for the closeness of the walls, for the way the elevator dips under his weight. As the door closes, Connor chances to look where the figure sits at the table, but both the table and the figure are gone. Beside him, Victoria presses a button on the wall panel. The elevator rocks and then rumbles into life. Connor tips his head back, letting his eyes fall closed. After a breath, a tiny hand slips into his. You still have time. For what it's worth, I believe you can change. I believe you can do better. Connor opens his eyes and lets the corners of his mouth turn up in a small smile. <sighs> Thank you. The elevator shutters to a halt. The door opens, revealing Connor's office. Goodbye. Victoria waves her little hand as the door to her elevator closes until she's entirely obscured from view. Then, in the space of a blink, the elevator is gone, and all that remains is the ensuite, expensive sconces, and all. Connor allows himself a second to lean on his desk, to let his head hang between his biceps. Then he straightens, squaring his shoulders. First step, refund Mrs. Rotterdam and send her on her way, perhaps with a warning from one fraud to another to make her social media feeds private, or with a pointed suggestion to be much more discreet when writing love notes to her paramour, at least until it can be confirmed whether or not she's been written out of her late husband's will. The second and third steps, Connor hasn't quite figured out yet. Connor doesn't have to be a psychic to know they won't be easy. Fate, huh? He shakes his head wistfully and goes to make his excuses to the woman in his reading room. for a ride. There are many stories here. Like this place. Like many things here. Some have become lost. But all lost things yearn to be found. And all stories long to be told. I've searched through my building. Gathering up stories. From every floor. From the basement the ninth story and every floor in between 
Stories of choice, of the hopeless, the redeemable, and the lost. Stories that will unlock something inside of you and carry you through fear to your future. Get your copy of the Lift's First Anthology on Amazon in print and Kindle. Let's go for a read. <laughs> With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.